Unprecedented. That's a word we're hearing a lot of these days, and I don't think it's inappropriate. Closed schools, closed recreation centers, closed businesses, closed borders. Another phrase that's used a lot is these are desperate measures for desperate times. Ironically, that phrase comes and is traced back to Hippocrates, who was a physician way back in ancient times. And he said those words uh, when he was speaking about disease and addressing it. Desperate measures for desperate times. We are in a crisis. And in a crisis, we accept measures that are desperate that we may not normally accept in order to find a way out of the predicament that we're in. So we accept uh, larger government spending. We accept the curtailing of our freedom. We accept isolation in hope that through what we are doing and through science, we will somehow find our way out of this. It's what we can do. It's what perhaps all that we can do from one perspective, but there's another perspective that says, while we want to isolate, we want to lean on science to find a way out of this, there is something additional that we need to give ourselves to, something that people find themselves doing in a time of crisis, and that's called prayer. Why pray? Well, you may be listening or watching today and you've been struggling as to whether there is a God or not, or maybe for much of your life you've resisted that there is a God, the secular view or a view absent of any kind of higher being, in that view, it's all up to us. It's about us and what we can do and that's it. It begins with us, it ends with us. And I guess that view has a bit of attraction. Um, we are free from any sort of outside control. We can do what we want. But in times like this, you got a question. Mark Sayers wrote a book called Reappearing Church, and in it he talks about the fleeing from secularism during 9-11, the last international crisis that we've experienced. And he says this, briefly the mythology that is possible to live a life without God or greater meaning for many people was rattled. You see, your lifestyle, your freedom, your approach to faith and meaning are shaped by large-scale factors. Factors out of our control, which we assume to be stable and secure, but which in reality can suddenly change. And very prophetically, in a book that he wrote last year, published 2019, Mark says this, if we endured a global flu pandemic, like the one in the early part of the 20th century that killed millions of people across the world, not that this pandemic is doing that, how we view and process our personal potentials and possibilities would be deeply shaken. Does a life without God work? Does it really work? See, in a different view, the, the view that I would ascribe to and have for much of my life is that there is a God, a God who's created mankind with incredible abilities. Uh, we are incredibly made, but we are not enough. On our own, we are not enough, and we need God. And this book, the Bible, that we're looking at again today describes a God that is loving, caring. He is also all-powerful, all-knowing. He could in a moment, in a word, stop the COVID-19 virus. He could in a moment, in a word, cause you to believe in him. He could in a moment, in a word, cause you to obey. But the God of this Bible is also presented as one who does not force himself into our lives in our way, but chooses 
to exercise his authority and his power in a way that he chooses to respond to us. And what this means is that in a time of crisis or really any time in our lives, when we turn to God in prayer, he wants to, he wants to respond and he chooses to do so. Why pray? Because God responds to prayer. And so because of that, we have a hope. We have a hope that goes beyond our human ability and, and our isolating ourselves and our science's ability to find a cure to a virus. We have a hope that goes beyond that. We have a hope in an all-powerful, all-loving God who hears the cries of his people and responds. We're going to look at some stories this morning out of Scripture. The Bible's filled with stories. And to see the theme of how God Here's the cries of his people in time of need and chooses to respond. We see that both personally, we see that corporately. I want to begin in 1 Samuel there. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, there's a story written about a, a woman named Hannah. And Hannah is in a desperate situation because as a woman, she is married but has no children. And this becomes a source of desperation and agony for her. She is in her culture would be ridiculed, would be looked down upon. There must be something wrong with Hannah, or maybe God is judging her. And so she's in a place of desperation. And we read in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And Hannah makes a vow to God saying, if he would give her a son, she'll, she'll release him to God. And we are told in just a few verses later that God remembered her. And she becomes with child and gives birth to a son who will be named Samuel, who becomes one of the great leaders of Israel. As a crisis, there's prayer, and God responds. This is a pattern we see in Scripture, not just personally, but also corporately. And a couple of books earlier, we read in the book of Exodus about the nation of Israel. And this is the story of Israel that was told from one generation to another, how God came and freed the nation of Israel from slavery of 400 years from the Egyptians. And how did it all begin? Well, we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, it says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and it says God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God answers. He answers in personal crisis. He also answers in corporate crisis. Why pray? Because the Bible presents a God who consistently is loving and in his loving nature, in his all-powerful, all-knowing, in all his wisdom, he hears the cries of his children as they call out to him and he responds in a way that intervenes. We see it in Hannah's life. We see it in Israel time and time again. Isaiah was a prophet of God who wrote to the nation of Israel and chastised them at one point for not trusting, not looking to God. You see, they were looking to other nations for, for their help, and God wanted them to look to him. God is not bothered by his children calling out to him, crying out to him. He wants that. And so Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 19, For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. 
He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. Even when Israel was in a predicament caused by their own rebellion, their sin against God, even then, when they cried out to God, God would meet them in their place of need and bring them back to himself and touch them and heal them. God is for his people. Second Chronicles 7.14 has often been the rallying cry of the church in a time of, of decline and desperation. I hope you looked at that scripture this morning. And it says there, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. In a crisis, God is for you. You are not alone. Ask him to help. See, our willingness and our practice of prayer is very much dependent upon our belief in the goodness of God and that he is for us and our understanding that God in his goodness responds to our prayer. Why pray? Because it connects us to God's goodness. Prayer also develops a right relationship with God. It shows humility. It shows dependency, which is rightly placed in him. It's not hard to see why this is important. And of course, why Jesus would also emphasize it, model it, and teach it to us. He also tells a story about prayer. If you want to look at Luke chapter 18, there he tells a parable and it says right out of the gate in Luke 18 verse 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Luke summarizes Jesus' story right out of the gate. Prayer is so important, we ought always to be doing it and not lose heart about it. Don't give up. So the story is about a judge and a widow. A widow in her day, again, would also have been uh, in a very difficult place in society, much like some of the widows around our world. For example, widows in India, where there are millions and millions of widows who are basically discarded, left to themselves, live in deplorable conditions because nobody cares for them, nobody wants them. She is a widow in a very difficult situation obviously very much alone. She has no one to represent her. And she comes before a judge, which is unusual because typically a, a man would represent the woman in court. But she comes, she comes to a judge, and the judge, we are told, is, is not a good judge, as judges are supposed to be. He's not fair. He's not given to, to right discernment. He is unjust. We have a worst-case scenario. A widow in a desperate situation being taken advantage of, looking for justice. But we have a judge who is unjust. And what does it tell us? It says, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not be down by her continual coming. We had a worst case scenario, an unjust judge, a desperate widow, and yet, because of her constant coming, because of her pleading, because of her re relentless asking, she gets what she wants. So here's the point, Jesus says. How much more in verse 7? And will not God give justice to his elect? God who is for us? God who is good? God who is just? Will he not give justice? Will he not answer the yearnings of our heart, the cries of our desperation? 
Will he not do that to his elect, his chosen, his children who cry to him day and night? Those who pray to him with passion. Will he delay long over them? No, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Why pray? Prayer connects us to God's goodness. Prayer develops a right relationship with God, a relationship of humility, a relationship of dependence. We ought always to pray, Jesus said. Now, I know that sometimes that's difficult for us. We get caught up in our own complacency. I know I can get stuck in my self-abilities, my ability to accomplish things and do things on my own and and without thinking, start to do things without relying on God and asking Him. It can be the same way for a church. We can have good programs. We can have a good building. We can have good people, good systems, and, and think, yeah, we can do this, and we can do this on our own, and then a crisis comes. A crisis comes, and we realize we are not enough. We need God. And we turn back to what we should have been doing all along, what we should have been passionately doing all along. We pray, and God in his grace and his mercy doesn't chastise us, but he welcomes us, and he responds as his people cry out to him. Why pray? Prayer connects us to God's goodness. Prayer connects us and develops a right relationship with God. Jesus said, you are always to pray and don't give up. And this is, this is the hard part, isn't it? Not to lose heart, not to give up. Maybe when you think about prayer, you think about the prayers that you have prayed or are praying right now where there just doesn't seem to be an answer. I get that. I have a few of those myself. Or maybe you can think of a prayer where you got an answer, but it sure wasn't the answer that you wanted. I get that. Today is the seven-year anniversary of my wife's passing away from cancer. In June 2012, uh, Virginia was diagnosed with kidney cancer, which undetected had spread to her lungs. When the doctors met with us, they told us that um, there was no medical hope, that it had uh, so advanced that there'd be no chemo, there'd be no radiation. Uh, we would just wait it out. But I live in a different world. I live in a world where regardless of science and what we see in front of us, there is hope. And so I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and others prayed along with me, and we prayed, and we prayed, and sometimes we fasted, and even prayed through the night. And Virginia died. There's so much going on in the world, it is impossible for us to know all that God is considering and how he answers our prayers. I've come to believe that the answers that seem to be a no in the present will one day consider to be a yes in light of the eternal picture that God alone sees. In Jesus' presence, Virginia as well. And all my disappointments and all my questions are ultimately answered in the person of Jesus Christ, 
Is God good? Yes, he is. God is so good, he sent us his only son who entered into history so that we know God is not some fictitious being, but Jesus took on humanity, lived, died, and then rose again so that we could be brought to God blameless in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, in the COVID-19 crisis, people will be prayed for and yet people will die. And yet I know that we will see all kinds of evidence of the gracious hand of God in answered prayer. Why pray? Because prayer connects us to God's goodness. Prayer develops a right relationship with God. And there's something more that prayer does that I wanna talk about. And I wanna frame it in this way. You know, asking is something that we are, we are um, told to do throughout scripture. God wants to answer our prayers. It's not a bother to him. But neither does God wanna be a vending machine. And so our asking expresses our dependence, but our asking needs to move on in our prayer life to become more of conversation with God, which expresses friendship, where we listen and we talk with God. And as we do that, as we get to know God better through his word and through conversation with God, then our prayer moves to another, another area, and that is contending where we partner with God in contending that his name would be honored and glorified in the world. The last story I want us to look at today is in Acts chapter four. It also is a story of crisis. After Jesus died and rose again and left his disciples, the leaders of the church, Peter and John, have been proclaiming a resurrected Jesus, but now they've been threatened too. They've been apprehended and threatened and it says, when they were released, to verse 23, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, how did they respond? They responded in prayer. It says they lifted up their voices together to God. And they acknowledge God's sovereignty and they quote God's scripture. And as you listen to their words, and hear their prayer, you realize they are not praying for themselves. They're not praying for their own comfort. They are praying that Jesus would be glorified and that people would hear about him as the resurrected Lord and Savior. You know, in this time of our crisis in our culture, this speaks directly to what we are going through. We can be all about our safety and our comfort and our isolation, or we can think beyond that in partnership with God and contend in prayer for the salvation of people who don't know Jesus Christ. Prayer paves the way for re renewal and revival. We see that throughout history. We see that here in Acts chapter four. And as we begin to pray to God that he will move, that he will, he will touch people in their place right now where everyone's foundation of their life is being shaken. And they are open to the question of whether Jesus is true and Jesus is real or not. It's time for God's church to pray, just like the church here did in Acts. And they wanted God to help them be an answer to their prayer. They, they call out to God and they say, and now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They prayed, prayed for renewal, for revival, for people to come to know Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would empower them with boldness, that they could be an answer to the prayer that they're praying.
that Jesus would be exalted and glorified. Why pray? Prayer connects us to God's goodness. Prayer develops a right relationship with God. Prayer paves the way for renewal and revival. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, God responds, let's pray. Maybe you're watching or listening today and you don't have a relationship with God so that you don't feel like you can converse with him. Today can be a day where you can change that. See, God, uh, God loves you. He gave his son for you and he invites you into a relationship with him. And you can turn your life over to him with a prayer. So I invite you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, to pray along with me. It's very simple, and those of you who are watching or listening that have a relationship with God, I think you can pray in agreement. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me for living my life outside of you. Forgive me for the ways I have rebelled against your ways. I ask you to receive me, to forgive my sins, to come into my life, and take ownership of my life and be my Lord. I commit myself to you. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And on our website, there's a connect button. And in, once you go to that connect uh, page, there's a box there that you can click on that talks about how you've committed your life to Christ. And we'd love to follow up with you and help you on that journey. For the rest of us, if you're watching and you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to pray as Jesus taught us, always, without losing heart. In this cultural season that we're in, there's going to be all kinds of opportunities for you to jump into a virtual prayer meeting. Please keep watch uh, at Central Heights website, and we'll be posting different times where you can join in, and together we can contend in partnership with God for what he wants to do in our world in this hour, in this cultural moment. And I also want to encourage you in your own relationships with your friends, family, co-workers, not that you can see them personally, but you can message them, you can call them, and ask them this simple question, how can I pray for you? And if you're talking with them uh, live, then with a follow-up question, if they're open to it, can I pray for you now? And as you do, you can expect that God will come in the presence of his Holy Spirit meeting you in that place of prayer so that your friend, your coworker, your neighbor can also experience the presence of God and be drawn to him. Let's pray and God will respond as we do.